I mean, that's. I mean, it's, you want to kind of get maybe kind of you know get back into a more kind of you know rarefied philosophical um, um, debate because you know we've we've been we've been you know wandering you know wandering around right now, which has been great. Um, I'm get, I can't. I, I I guess this is why the kind of the ideological, the idealist traditions mm. um, had had so much traction and was so popular um, because idealism, whether it's in its kind of an early Platonic form or whether it's more kind of you know rarefied sort of you know slightly more kind of sophisticated um, Hegelian form, for example. Mm. Really speaks to 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 this this notion that 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 knowledge is something that exists, um, that knowledge of the universe uh, is something that exists uh, other than you. It's 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 out there um, as a thing, as a real thing, and you have access mm. to it. Um, so it's not a case of you having to kind of piece it all together from from experience. Um, and you're not quite sure whether you're having the right experiences or whether people are limiting your experiences because, you know, we know socioeconomically there are a lot of experiences that people simply can't have because they can't they can't afford to have them. Mm. You know, travel, for example, or, you mm. know, sitting in a garden sometimes or eating particular kinds of foods. Um, so you might be limited um, by the experiences you, you, you can have. So that might that might shut down aspects of the yeah. knowledge you have of the world. Whereas, you know, the idealists would say all knowledge exists beyond your experience outside your actual experience and it can be engaged with um uh, a priori it can be engaged with in an entirely different way so plato says you know we can we can bring to remembrance mm. these things these are things that you know that philosophers for example can help you remember uh, and you can learn about and you can encounter truth and beauty and all these things without ever having to encounter uh, anything that is true or anything that is beautiful you can still encounter truth and beauty um mm. so that I think can be quite attractive, and you know, and and you you see this kind of you know seeping into or mirroring itself in in religious traditions like the Christian tradition, mm. um, which you know in its you know as it developed was was obviously very Platonic. The idea that you know the mind of God, the mind of God c contains all the knowledge of the universe, all the knowledge of everything that ever was, because God is the architect. Um, and so all that knowledge, all of the, of, of the things that are actually true about the world are accessible to you through your relationship with God. So you don't have to have these experiences. Mm. Um, you can still have the absolutely true knowledge of a thing and of an experience. Um, but you can have this almost by short circuiting the empirical world. Mm. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a poor person living in a hot hut somewhere. Mm. Um, uh, and eating rice, you can have the experience of truth and beauty and love and honour and uh, and all these kinds of things just through kind of meditation and philosophical mm. reflection and la 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 la. Um, and okay, there are issues there, but I can see how that's attractive. Yeah, I can see so that, that's how attractive. You know, you can say, well, okay, that's great. I don't have, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. But that doesn't matter because I still have. I can still get a handle on the world. I can still understand the universe well, without that. that. That that's kind of ignites a, 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 like a kind of exciting thought in me. So that you know, that's to say that you know, the idea of God doesn't have to be a real God. The idea of God of having this kind of uh, fountain of all knowledge. Let's go back to what I said about you know, uh, you can't have knowledge without language. Hmm. Can you know? Let's say a, a cave a caveman with no language. Find a uh, find a flower beautiful. Hmm. 
Is that well, Plato possible? would say so? Yeah, I think Plato yeah. would say so. He would, you know, he would say that no matter how primitive a person is, they may need help. They may not have be able to experience these things without support because only the true philosophers, the gold spirits, have that absolute connection and are, and it comes easy to them. Um, so the language came later. You know, a, mm. a word for that came mm. later. Mm. You know, mm. I think I'm not quite sure, but maybe Wittgenstein would argue not. Mm. Yes. But, um, the sensation of finding something beautiful do you have to have language before that if you don't then that mm. is an exciting idea because other things would follow from that you know going all the way back to plato you know justice he says yes. doesn't he yes yes but then that's an idea that these things are outside mm. absolutely you know? yeah. absolutely yeah and so you know that's why i mean i i, I I find myself, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I sometimes find myself being um, uh, an idealist by, by, uh, by kind of you know, conviction, but, uh, but uh, uh, an empiricist by experience, almost by definition, you know? Um, and so it's sort of, yeah, I, you know, I, I, like, I like the Hegelian understanding of, of um, everybody being part of the greater whole. It's almost that kind, it's almost Eastern. In, 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 because he was very interested in Eastern mysticism. Mm. The idea we are all just a kind of a fragmented part of a much bigger whole, um, and our natural condition, we're, the way we're, we're, we're all moving, uh, as a natural um, um, response to the universe, as we're all beginning to move together, it's beginning to move back together again. Mm. So that kind of fracturedness that we experience when we're first born, uh, the, this kind of isolation, this loneliness, this kind of disengagement, literally kind of that kind of being torn apart from, torn away from you know the parent who bore you and that kind of isolate that that sort of you know, abandonment um um and you know children still have um that kind of fear of abandonment you know you probably know yourself you know you've got young children um mm. and for quite a longest time when you move out of the you know you move away from them, they get really panicky mm -hmm. because that you're the kind of linchpin um but as the world as 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 our consciousness expands Hegel says, as our consciousness expands, as we appreciate that my relationship with the world is just me coming to a greater awareness of my own self, that yeah. all the things I see are just part of me. So my identity is bound up with me communicating with you, Danny. Mm -hmm. um, part of my experience, you know, my own identity is bound up with the things I eat and the, and the flowers I smell and the things I do. And all of that stuff is just suddenly bringing this greater sense of my identity together. And mm -hmm. it's inevitable. You know, it, it might take, you know, it will take time, but it, it, there is an inevitable resolution. There's a comfort in that, mm. I think, because it's almost kind of, well, it's, it's not all, to, it's not all my, it's not all down to me to know this. The universe is, a, is, is you know, or God or whatever you want to go, is, is kind of, has this process in train and you're part of that. Mm. Um, and there will be, and you'll get to a point when you, you know, you may not be any richer uh, or any more powerful, but you will understand the world and your place in it more fully as time progresses. And then you've got Eastern mysticism says you may have to do this three or four times round. You may have to kind of reincarnate, so mm. the universe might want to throw you back into it to kind of learn more about yourself before it kind of really sort of finally comes to a conclusion. And I kind of find that attractive mm. in a way that's you know having to kind of put it all together myself out of the random parts I trip over in my world mm -hmm. is not attractive. <laughs> May be the way things are, um, but that, I mean, you see what I mean? I'm not expressing that as clearly as I yeah, could do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, my kind of 
follow-on thought about that is especially with, to do with uh, mysticism. I think mysticism kind of scares people, you know, scares mm. you know, skeptics. We want stuff nailed down. Mm. But I think mm. of things that I think that are easy to understand, like um, thoughts and feelings we have had. Uh, you know, I always always think back to you know uh, what I felt like when I was a boy, um, like Christmas. Christmas that, that that kind of nice feeling of, um, and uh, every now and again you get a kind of a um, like a flashback mm. to a feeling, and yes. you but you can't put you can't put a word to it you can't put a oh I was happy and happy mm. is just like a that's why you know obviously poets and th- people are so uh, and uh, you know um, uh, creative uh, people I think so important because they're putting putting words to the feelings we had and that then presupposes there are loads of feelings and sensations mm. and this is completely yes. going against Wittgenstein here <laughs> and that that human beings have had mm. that are not part of our you know, immediate consciousness because we don't have they're not part of language yes well there's that kind of as you know Polanyi talks about the, 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 the tacit dimension Mm. Um, you know the idea that there is an awful lot of of, of things that that uh, provide meaning and significance to our existence that we can't really um, we can't really codify for some reason or other. Um, it's something that eludes codification. It kind of slips through our fingers. So we try if we try and look at it for too long, it just kind of you know slips off. And you mm. only catch these things if you kind of ca- catch them in the corner of your peripheral vision. Mm. Um, because the more you look at it. Um, the more, I mean, you know, science talks about this as well, doesn't it? Was it, was it the um, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, or is it something something like that? Yeah. That you know, you can only look at you know one thing or another you, if you, in a in a particular kind of experiment. And if you look at one thing, um, then you'll lose track of the other thing. And if you look at the other thing, you lose track. Of it. I mm. can't remember. It was something. It was something about you know the the person who's kind of looking at an experiment is affecting that experiment depending on what aspect of the experiment they're looking at. Um, yeah. But anyway, I'm I not think a when it comes to correct me. I think when it um, when it comes to um, mysticism, it's worth screwing it down, keeping it on earth like that. Because, mm. like mm. you know, I'm I'm interested in um, you know transcendental meditation. People think, okay, oh. well, I'm tuning out. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm not I'm not interested in in something that's not. Um, not down to earth and i think this mm. is actually down to earth mm. so it's the idea that you 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 chant something that's in meaning uh, essentially meaningless to kind of break away from that you know, that kantian thing so like, we we experience the world and mm. and our uh, senses give its structure a meaning so if you can if you can um, turn that off mm-hmm. by not thinking, which is a really impossible, <laughs> almost impossible thing to do, by by um, you know doing this kind of um, chanting, which is uh, the, the, what you chant has to be um, not words you recognise, because then you will start to think of something. Yes. Then you're kind of getting into a kind of a dream dreamlike state. Mm. Uh, mm. That that you know that fascinates me from a yes. kind of down to earth um, 
Uh, I'm not talking about you <laughs> yeah. know, floating outside my body you know, in mm. reality. You're floating yeah. outside your body, you know, as an idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's prob. I mean, it's 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 very much why um, the kind of counterculture of the the '60s and early '70s experimented with uh, you know with with chemicals in the way it did mm. because it kind of provided people with with a way of in a sense defocusing uh, because your focal awareness uh, is 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 very much um, determined by the way you're trained and where culture um, puts its encourages you to look so mm. you know the way we're educated and trained and so on and the way that we're told to value things that's where we're encouraged to look. That's our focal awareness. But there's an awful lot of stuff going on around the outsides that we don't focus on particularly, which would give us another perspective. And perhaps, and I think part of the reason that, that, that people did experiment with kind of mind-altering drugs, and you had the kind of whole Timothy Leary thing and so on, mm. um, was to kind of almost force you to, to concentrate on your peripheral vision for a moment, to look in a, in a different direction. Mm. Um, and I think we've mentioned this before, but I mentioned this to some students the other day, and um, we had a good conversation about this. Um, I think it was partly the point of uh, John Cage's four minutes and thirty-three seconds of silence, because mm-hmm. uh, you know John Cage, the the, the the classical musician John Cage, very avant-garde, and he uh, those you probably all our listeners are probably familiar with this because yeah. we've said it before. But um, he 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 came up with this performance, which is four minutes thirty-three seconds of silence. Um, and he would come out in a theatre. People pay ticket, pay money, you know, for tickets. They come in, they'd all sit down in this auditorium. He'd come out all dressed up in the in the in the you know in the, in the suit and the gear and stuff. Sit mm. his piano, you know, rub his hands together, open the lid of the piano, and then just sit there for four minutes thirty three seconds. And then he would get up and bow. People would applaud, and he would leave. Um, and the point there, um, as I understand it, um, that Cage was making was. Don't just focus, or you know, we, we normally focus on the performer. What's put in front of you is where mm. our focal awareness is. So you're listening to my my mute, you know, what I'm pushing out of this this piano. Um, but the entire experience, the total experience you are having, mm. um, is an amalgam of all the other things that are going on around you. Yeah. The person sat next to you and how they smell. Um, the person three, you know, seats in front of you and you know whether they're coughing or whispering or not, or if somebody behind you has their mobile phones light too. Incredibly light. noisy. What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> cars going past. You know, people digging up the roads. There's a whole bunch of stuff. The smell of the building, the, the, the feel of the chairs, mm. your thoughts at that time. So all of that stuff, mm. John Case says, if you just take my performance out of that and just leave a void there. It forces you to look at all the res- all all the surrounding stuff, and that surrounding stuff has helped to make that experience an unrepeatable experience because it will never be that combination of things in that place ever again. I'll play this. I can play the same piece of music if I was playing music. I can play that again and again and again, hmm. but it won't be the same as this. And we've all had that experience. I've had this many times where you've kind of gone to a live gig. And you've listened to this band that you perhaps are awfully interested in or you've not heard before. And you think, my goodness me, this is brilliant. Why have I not been into these guys before? And you immediately mm. rush home and download everything they've ever produced. Uh, and then you start listening to it. And you go, yeah, I don't know. You mm. know I don't know what I was so interested in. Why was I so excited about this? And it's mm. it, because it's not the same experience anymore. It's the same musical notes being played. But you haven't got the same people with you or the same surrounding noises or the smells or textures your stomach's not making the same noises your head's not in the same place um and yeah. all of that is is 
that's part of the knowledge base, isn't it? Yeah, that's fascinating. It is, isn't it? I quite, I quite like that. Um, so yeah, so uh, I think, I mean, we've not, we're, we're skirting around a lot of stuff here because I think it's just such a big issue. Um, the, and the, we haven't really drawn up sides the, the way we did in the previous one. I mean, yeah. would you see yourself? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here. Yeah, yeah, would you on. see yourself as as as? Uh, and I've nailed my colours down. I said, you know, I, I actually quite like the idealist traditions. I mean, would you see yourself as more of a of an empiricist when 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 push comes to shove, or would you not want to be labelled? It's it's really difficult. I remember, you know, when I was studying uh, philosophy. Uh, you'd, you'd hear, you know, you'd, you'd learn about a philosopher one week. You think, oh, this is fantastic, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, that, uh, yeah, the problem, there are problems with it. Next week, oh, this is it. This and this is the answer, you know. Yeah. And yeah, obviously the big, the big philosophers stick out. Um, I will answer your question, um, but the, yeah, the big philosophers stick out. You get, you know, Descartes just is like a, you know, a nuclear explosion mm. in terms of you know the, the power and force of his ideas. And and um, going to the in, you know going to the individual, mm. and um, those ideas about you know um, imagination, really convincing ideas. Imagination um, versus experience, uh, versus the senses. So there's two, isn't there? There's one about um, uh, some wax. Uh, our sense mm -hmm. data can tell you what uh, the wax. It, it's wax. It's it, you know it's hard. It's it smells a certain way. It looks a certain way. If we melt it, it changes mm. what it looks like. It changes the way it smells and tastes. But we still know it's wax. How do we know that? Because intellect and um, uh, and and um, reason and intellect is more powerful than imagination. Through the uh, Chiligan. do you remember this one? Yeah, I love this yeah. one. Yeah. So this is like the a thousand-sided shape. You can't imagine it. Mm. But your yes. reason tells you it's okay because you know yes. it's a thousand sided shape. Um, I find that that points me into the kind of um, you know the uh, more the idealists, more the kind of um, first principles, mm. uh, and then you know Hume and um, who else we got uh, Berkeley, uh, mm. Leibniz, all that it kind of give you a whole other way of looking at stuff you think oh yeah you start scratching your head you say, <laughs> this is actually yeah yeah you big problems here isn't there mm. and yeah. then yeah you know, i think camp kant comes along and i think sews up most of the most of the uh problems i think mm. um i think that from that, that that's a kind of a uh, um, bookend of right. that from, from my point of view uh, mm. and and um the idea that you know it's a bit of both, you know, it's a, a synthetic I, um, uh, I, uh, a priori, yeah. um, and um, um, as human beings, we're kind of uh, we're like a recording equipment. We're, uh, we we will give you the world. We give ourselves the world because of the way we're constructed. And we talked that earlier, didn't we, about mm -hmm. you know the five senses that makes us, that gives us, um, um, and then from there. Um, I think philosophy kind of gives up in my, yeah, I said it. Earlier, so, uh, that's just not, you know, um, and then we get to the 20th century and it's, it's on to language. Mm, yeah. So your question. Yes, yes. Which I'm, I promised. Stalling for time there. I, I promised yeah. I'll answer. Um, I, I kind of fall in, fall in love with the idea of, of you know, the idea, I, um, idealism. 
Um, I think because I have a kind of fascination, which I've kind of alluded to, with that myst mystical side. I'm really mm. interested in how we get from, you know, uh, an, uh, in, what is intuition is my big question. I would like mm. to see more study of that. I don't think we have a proper study of what intuition is. Mm. If you look in the dictionaries, if you look at the philosophy, uh, philosophy it says intuition, knowing before knowing, it says. <laughs> you know, it doesn't tell you what it is. Um, and uh, I think Kant gives us, gives us the closest you can get to Yeah, because it varies, doesn't it? I mean, mm. sorry, yeah. I mean, it, do, it does vary, and there are, diff there are different flavours mm. of, 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 of idealism. So you've got that kind of full-on platonic idealism where you know reality is is something that doesn't have any particular uh anything doesn't have anything particularly to do with with the appearances we see around us what we're seeing around us in what we are pleased to call the real world mm. uh, that's actually kind of shadows and it's copies the actual real world um, exists in another reality in another dimension if you like of mm. high order forms um, and if you want to understand, for example, you know what a dog is, um, then you concentrate and you think rationally about that higher form, which is the, the ideal, perfect image of a dog. Mm. And that will tell you. And any philosophers or the philosophy trained can, philosoph philosophically trained can do this. Mm. Um, the rest of us just have to kind of settle for um, the, representa the representations of that dog that we see in, in the physical world. Mm. It's not the real thing. It's just a kind of a copy of the real thing. Um, so we're kind of doing... Um, so you've got that kind of pure idealism and you see the similar kind of thing in, 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 uh, in, in Heidegger as well. That it's the, it's the higher order um, knowledges of, of, of the universe. That's where things really happen. And the kind of physical manifestations we see now are almost like a shadow show. You know, I'm not seeing the real Danny really here, <laughs> and I'm not drinking the, I mean, this, this cup of tea I'm drinking. You know, it's it's a, it's a copy of the ideal cup of tea, whatever that might be. Mm. Pretty Yorkshire tea, I guess. Um, the ideal cup of tea somewhere else. So this is an approximation to it. It's only tea, a cup of tea, in so far as it's it it approximates. It's, it looks like, to some extent, in the right light, Mind the you, real one. In the morning, I do have cups of tea that taste like. This is the ideal cup of tea. You messaged me this week and said you had a really bad cup of tea. I thought you were on something. You really got into it. <laughs> no, I was just so disappointed because I made um, a lovely um, um, beans on toast. And this would horrify some people who don't come from England, I think. No, but it's a cracking um, snack. Baked beans on toast. Um, mm. And I had like a, I had triple, uh, I had three slices of bread, uh, toast. Because you've got to soak I, I did a, a nice kind of, um, you know, they're all leaning on each other. Oh. And uh, a complete oh. whole tin to myself of beans because no one else wanted it. And um, I make the cup of tea. And I was yeah. eating, really enjoying this fantastic beans on toast. And then mm. I take a sip of tea and it's the worst tea I've ever tasted. That's the lunch ruined. It is. It's 50%. 50% oh, of a beans on toast lunch is yeah. the tea. Oh, absolutely. So it's absolutely. Disappointing. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think most classic pieces of british cuisine mm. require a nice cup of tea mm. just to round it off i mean fish and chips i like a nice cup of tea with mm. that mm. bacon sandwich nice oh, cup of tea yeah. you know the full english gotta have a cup of tea so all of that stuff so i can see exactly where you're coming from here i mean i, I don't know whether i mean was it because uh, had you gone to a, like a a weird brand of beans and you got like little's own baked bean no the beans yeah, legume it, it, 
that they have to say that the bean, you know, the, they were great. The beans were great. Everything was great on that yeah. side, on that score. But if you haven't got a good cup of tea, then you're not there. It's not. So, what, I mean, did you do? I mean, was there a, was there a, a control? Was there a control cup of tea? Had you tried the same the same kind of tea made in the same way? Since then, have you tried that to see whether or not the tea itself was at fault or whether it was a combination of the tea and the beans that messed with you? The problem continues. So, yeah. um, I don't tuned, know, need a new kettle or what? I, yeah, I, we, same, we, we, we go through the same ritual every time. Um, mm. New water, filtered water mm. in the kettle. Um, uh, we use um, yeah, um, uh, uh, PG tips. The, yeah, oh, yeah. God. There's a, a plug there. Maybe yeah, I'll get free pieces. Okay. You might get some. Which I, yeah, is the best. Mm. It's like mm. um, you know, Cadbury's cho- chocolate is the best chocolate, obviously. obviously. Um, uh, <laughs> the best. I mean, yeah, I, I do like um, uh, um, Darjeeling. I do like, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I do like Earl Grey. Yeah, but I like you, Lapsang myself. Yeah, but you can't drink that every day. No, no. You can't, it's like you, you can't eat um, Swiss, you know, Swiss chocolate is, is phenomenal. You can't mm. eat it every day, but you can no, eat Cadbury's no. every day. Cadbury's every day, yeah. Um, yeah, so two minutes, mm. that's it. Squeeze yeah. and yeah. out. And, that's, and a drop of milk, that's perfect. Well, that's how I would have done it. So, yeah, I didn't see what's going on. And the only mm. other thing I could suggest is, have mm. you recently taken out a life insurance policy? <laughs> oh, okay. Just putting that out there. Got a little dark, I know. But, you know. but, who's, but who's, who would be poisoning me? Because I'm, you know, I'm making tea for two here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the clever poisoner knows ways of kind of bluffing you into thinking that it's all going, all going well, and they're sharing in the experience with you. But uh, maybe, maybe whoever's doing it had already built up a an immunity to iocane powder. <laughs> I just thought of, the, of, of um, uh, we can link this to philosophy in some way. Um, <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the really. Galaxy. Yes. Yes. So there, uh, you have to correct me. You, you, you have better knowledge of me. But is it a like a food replicator, or some kind of robot that make can make you anything? Um, and it, it, I'm, I think I'm talking about the TV program version. Mm. And um, Arthur Dent asks him to make a cup of tea, mm. and he's like, "Yes, no problem." So uh, what's that again? <laughs> and it doesn't know how to make. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't have the knowledge. No, no. Uh, well, it's the same. Sense. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, my experience is that nobody can make a good cup of tea except me. I think that's. <laughs> I think that. I think that's just true for everybody. You know, if you go and visit somebody, family or friends or whatever, they make a cup, cup of tea. tea. You think? You think hey, thank you, but it's you know, it's not. It's not quite right. You know, I've had too many bad out. cups of tea in the past. Yeah, you drink. You drink it out of a sense of 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 you know. Um, gratitude and so on but you think now i'll get home when i get home i'll make a proper cup of tea you know it'll i don't know and uh, yeah our <laughs> friends on on you know on the continent or other, other, all around the world really don't know how to make a cup of proper cup of tea surprising really yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet you know tea uh is not indigenous to the british Isles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. well yeah, yeah like, you know um in uh, mainland europe they uh they don't put milk in yeah, they're, they're horrified. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, people. Eat, I mean, I've known people who drink tea with condensed milk. I and mean, what's that all about? <laughs> just, just lunacy, <laughs> lunacy. You know what's going to happen? You're going to edit this episode out, and it's just going to have like 20 minutes of us in one episode talking about tea. 
<laughs> you make sure you edit this properly, so our our, uh, our listener actually gets a bit of philosophy in this in this chunk. Here.